this is Caleb, your host, and today we are presenting the first commentary episode for When the Mountains Called. Now the purpose of these commentary episodes is to explore the story a little bit and in an informal manner and dive in and exchange ideas and try to bring out all that's in the story because the story is quite dense. So today I have joining me, Mati. How's it going, Mati? Hey, Caleb, how are you? I'm doing well. You know, I'm excited about this because I have been listening carefully to this podcast. And I have so many questions that I want to explore with you. And uh, But first, I want to talk about Mati. Okay, let's talk about Mati. <laughs> so, Mati is a word in Greek which means I. But it has a lot of meanings in a lot of languages, and I think it might go way, way back. So it's kind of fun. E-Y-E? As in E-Y-E. So Persians say mati, they mean obedient. Or Greek means I, but not only I. I'll come back to that in a second. In Sanskrit, it means spiritual thought, which is kind of interesting. Wiktionary says that mati means to know, perceive, or understand. But what I thought was kind of fun is that in Greek, it doesn't just mean I. It's also a very popular symbol for the evil I. If you're listening to novel, then I assume one reason is because you like stories. I mean, who doesn't like a good story? And the stories novel produces have quite a few bizarre, otherworldly, and thought-provoking sections, as you might expect from fiction. The podcast I want to tell you about today, however, has all of these elements with one crucial difference. All the stories you hear are, in fact, true. The podcast is called the Adventure Sports Podcast, and the host, Mason, interviews extreme outdoor athletes from all over the world. When you listen to the Adventure Sports Podcast, You'll hear people recount stories of traveling around the world on a bike, or climbing the Seven Summits, or sailing around and through much of North America on a boat which fits in the back of a pickup truck. Seriously, some of the stories truly are otherworldly. So my job here, I think, is to kind of ask the questions and explore the questions that the listeners might have, because... I'm not an originator of this podcast. I'm just a listener like everybody else. So I'm trying to represent all the listeners out there with the questions and insights that they might have for us to kind of explore what's going on with novel. This, um, this story, you know, you mentioned that it was dense. And that's not dense as in not comprehending. Instead, mm -hmm. it's dense like there's a whole lot there. So I think it'll be a lot of fun just to explore what this is about. For starters, I would like to know more about the originators of this podcast. And I'm, we have you, Caleb, mm -hmm. and you are, you're the guy that decided to do a podcast, and you are the one who's producing the podcast, and you are the one who's writing the original music for the podcast, which, by the way, it's all original music, so you're writing all the music for the podcast. Then we have Shannon Baker, who is the writer, who's creating some amazing content. And we also have Jonathan Cooner, 
who is the voice actor. So yes. you, you are all three up-and-coming artists, I would say, recent graduates from college. But give us just a, a quick little bio of, of who you guys are, starting with Shannon. Okay. We all met in college, actually. Uh, we all graduated from Luther and Luther College in Iowa. That's really where our, our friendships started, um, particularly with Shannon. She was always a person that I could easily have a really meaningful conversation with, where we would discuss all sorts of crazy, you know, crazy things related to philosophy and life and um, everything and anything. That's why I chose her for this project. That's why I asked her to do it, because I knew that she could write something that um, was really worth listening to as far as exploring um, exploring different topics. So, okay. And who's Jonathan? And Jonathan, I also was good friends with at Luther. Um, he studied theater at Luther, and so he has that background. And we, we would do a lot of group studies together, actually, and also get into... Um, philosophical topics relating to theology or anything, you know, on that deeper sort of a level. And as I was getting ready to do this podcast, I, I thought of briefly about doing the um, voice acting myself, but then I thought, I don't really want to. And, <laughs> and I was already doing the producing and writing music, and writing music takes a very long time. So I decided to ask Jonathan to see if he was interested, and he said yes. And so that's that's how our crew came about. Well, let's talk just a little bit about your motivations for first wanting to do the podcast, but then also for wanting to provide music for it. Um, where did the idea come from? So I uh, my background is in philosophy and music composition. That's what I graduated with in college. And so I came out of college, you know, uh, as somebody who would be either reading philosophy, writing philosophy papers, or writing music. Mm. That was my life for uh, four and a half years. And after that, I started working my way into the workforce, and uh, I just felt like I needed a project that would motivate me to continue to do the things that I love to do. Um, and so that was the primary reason for starting the podcast, particularly a podcast which lends itself well to music, so that I could write the music for the podcast and uh, keep, that, keep that part of myself sort of lubricated and working well. Um, and then I thought it would be interesting to incorporate uh, philosophical ideas as well, I was trying to figure out a way to pair the two, philosophy and music. And uh, I think the best way to do that is through stories, uh, because you can talk about philosophical concepts through storytelling, and then music can enforce that storytelling and bring out elements which aren't necessarily obvious in the story. So, mm. You know, when I've been listening to this first episode, I've listened to it several times now, and Sometimes stories use a lot of words to say a little bit of stuff. 
to describe what's happening. And, and, you know, those are kind of light and fluffy stories. But there are some stories that use very few words to say so much more. And the way that Shannon articulates the ideas through story in this episode, it just really blew me away. She's clearly addressing a lot of deep uh, archetypical themes about what it means to be human. Some of the, the timeless ideas that have concerned humanity from prehistory on, right? But she does it in a way that's so simple. I mean, at first I thought, I'm listening to some dude standing in a field with corduroy pants on. What are we talking about here, right? Yeah. But then as I listened, I, I began to realize, oh, that corduroy is not about corduroy pants. There's something else here. And then, oh, the grass is not the grass, and the mountains are not the mountains, and the house is not necessarily the house. And wow, if you begin to ponder it just a little bit, it becomes clear that Shannon is um, creating ideas that explore the way that humans do humaning. <laughs> to coin a word. Is that a word? Humaning? It is now. It is now. And so anyway, that's what I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to explore those ideas because I think that we, it, it, the text is so worthy of a little bit of that exploration. But I wanted to go back just a minute and talk about the music that you're writing here. Mm -hmm. And then I want to get back into talking about the story itself and the content. But, I mean, the music is fascinating in its own right. It's all original, and a lot of it is kind of in a minor key, ethereal, um, contemplative even. What were your inspirations for the style of music that you created to bolster the storyline? Um, I think I would have to say simply the story itself. Mm. Um, I, I've, always, I've always thought of music in terms of stories. Even the original compositions, which I've written, which don't necessarily coincide with a, like a concrete story, um, I always have some sort of story going through my head to accompany that music, and that's more or less how I write. So I think that, yeah, the, the music came from the story, and it was pretty natural for me to do it that way. So That's really cool. I, I have to throw out the word and we won't dwell on it, but synesthesia. Yes. What is synesthesia? Synesthesia is when you uh, taste sound, or when you see sound, or when you um, hear flavor, or it's, it's when our senses get crisscrossed. So what's fascinating about this, and listeners, if you want to learn more about it, go to 20,000 Hertz, the podcast, and listen to their episode on synesthesia, because they did such a great job. But I know that that's part of what's going on here, especially with a composer who is producing music that represents a story. In a way, you're creating the sounds of the scenes that the reader or the listener gets out of a storyline. So in other words... The, the, the reader might be reading about mountains in the distance and a field. But you're creating the music of the mountains in the distance and the field. So you're crossing senses right there. Yeah. Yeah. For this particular story, I would be imagining the scene. 
and then I would say, okay, corduroy pants sound mm. like this. Right. And so it's not exactly, you know, like that in terms of um, making distinct decisions like that, but it's more or less how it works. Well, you know, if we were to go back to something like Beethoven's Pastoral, he's mimicking actu actual um, pastoral sounds with the instruments. He's trying to make flutes sound like birds, for instance. Yes. But that's not really what we're talking about here. You're not mimicking the sounds of the pasture, right? <laughs> Instead, you're creating the sounds of the emotions. Yep. Yes, that's what I'm doing. That's, that was my sense in listening to it. Kind of fascinating. So why did you choose the, the tenor of the music? I mean, it's kind of in a minor key. It's almost ethereal. Your instrumentation is, is very interesting. What kind of uh, thoughts drove those choices? Just a, a lot of experimentation. I knew that since the story wasn't, didn't have a lot of action in it and it was very contemplative, I needed, I needed instruments that would reflect that. And so I steered away from brass. I don't have any brass up to this point mm, okay. in, in the podcast. Uh, strings can, are very good at creating atmospheres and different textures. So okay. the, that's my primary... The texture of sound. Ensemble for that. Um, and then I chose a few instruments which could carry melody lines really well, but also contrib contribute to the textural element of it. Um, that's why there's a lot of piano and the flute and the harp. Okay. start out with the with a spoiler alert which is that we won't be doing any spoilers so i don't know enough about the story going forward to be able to spoil it i don't think caleb does but our purpose here is not to answer the, all the questions it's to kick around what's being talked about and help to pose the questions and explore the concepts a little bit and so we're not going to be answering the questions about what the podcast is about so sorry you'll have to listen to the show to to figure out what's really going on but I thought it might be fun to pull out some of the themes that are in this first episode and mm -hmm. then say, well, what do you think Shannon was getting at, right? But then also, what does it mean to you? What might it mean to the listeners? And it can mean a dozen different things to a dozen different people. But it's kind of the point is, when we're talking about corduroy pants, this isn't a story about corduroy pants, right? No, it's not. In the field where he stood, the grass blew against his ankles, scraping the bottoms of the tattering corduroy pants he'd always worn because they were simple and good and all he'd known. All he'd known, all he'd known, like the path he'd walked from his small cabin this night as he had every other night, to stand at the lowest part of the valley but never beyond. Like the rolling hills that rippled beyond the crumbling wooden fence he had put up years before, not so much to keep others out as to keep himself in. Because this path, these hills, the cabin, was simple and good. Simple and good and all he'd known. 
the corduroy has, has a much deeper meaning. And I don't know if you want to call it allegorical or if we want to call it some sort of a, a symbol for a paradigm. But whatever you want to call it, let's, let's just go into the corduroy as an example. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the storyline starts with our main character in a field, mm-hmm. slightly away from his home. And he mentions the corduroy pants and the grass brushing up against his corduroy pants. Now, on the surface, that doesn't mean a lot. It's just like, yeah, well, of course, when you walk through a field, grass brushes your pant legs, right? right. But it's going way deeper than that. What do you think's going on with the corduroy? I think that um, the corduroy in many ways represents um, normalcy mm. and adaptation. Maybe even going so far as to say um, getting into a rut in life uh, where something which was originally uncomfortable you've gotten used to to the point where you don't even notice it anymore, even if that thing is bad for you. I think that that's one of the things that the corduroy pants are hinting at. Well, and and Shannon even goes so far as to say, or the main character, whose name I don't believe has even been mentioned yet. Not yet. Okay, so we'll just call him main character. (laughs) So the dude, main character, (laughs) makes mention that now his legs itch if he takes the corduroy pants off. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's sort of like when when life all of a sudden changes on you and you have this moment of, you know, trying to reorient yourself and figure out what the heck is going on. Um, and I think that the corduroy pants represent that aspect as well. Mm. You know, I have all sorts of different thoughts and, it, you know, all the listeners are going to have their own thoughts. But what we're talking about here is Something that served a purpose at a time, might still serve a purpose, but had a problem, was uncomfortable, but it met some need. And then little by little, you became very accustomed to it until it became a part of your identity almost. Mm -hmm. And then that thing, when it may not even be that helpful anymore, if you try to pull that out of your life, then it leaves behind some sort of a scar or a difficulty. And that makes me think of all sorts of dependencies that we come up with in life. It could be emotional, it could be relationships, it could be actual addictions, addictions to actions or addictions to substances or whatever it is. Like you said, getting in a rut, it's almost like the corduroy pants, it's, he never takes them off? That's kind of weird. You shouldn't leave the same pair of pants on forever until they rub your legs raw, right? Right. So, okay, we're not going to talk about corduroy for the rest of the podcast, <laughs> but it's a great example of how almost everything in this story means far more than what you see on the surface. Yes, it is. Wow, that's fascinating. So after the corduroy, we immediately get into these themes of dead versus alive. Yes, we do. And this might be the, the biggest overarching theme of the, of the storyline. I don't know, but it sounds like it's, it's the big one. And... I immediately start realizing, especially by the end of this first episode, that there's a lot of question about what it is to be dead. And uh, we know that the main character, dude, is he's dealing with the recent loss of Pearl, his significant other. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. So he's wrestling with the very real death of Pearl. 
But then there's all this talk about his own state. And I have to be honest, you know, the, the, Shannon wrote there that the next time he would hear the mountains call, he would be dead. That's, that's one of the lines that's in there. Mm-hmm. But then when you start exploring what it might mean to be dead, there's a statement that says, for all intents and purposes, he must be dead. But is he dead? And I think, I think we don't have a death event. So no, we don't. So it, it begs the question, and I don't think we should try to answer it right now, but that's the huge question of the first episode. What does that mean? It is a huge question, and I guess the only thing I can say about that is I still don't know if he's dead or alive. <laughs> I'm, you're on episode what? And I, I'm on episode nine, and I don't know if he's dead or alive. I think only Shannon knows that. <laughs> How exciting. Well, what's fun about that is that using this kind of an allegory or a metaphor, we're able to explore all sorts of theories and assumptions and questions and intrigue about what death might be mm-hmm. or mourning a death might be. Yeah. Well, I think that in this first episode, a major theme that comes out related to death is death of what? Mm. Um, because there's a line in there where it mentions that a part of the main character died when Pearl died. Right. So that part starts out being dead in the story. And I think that's significant. And then related to that, you have all of these um, repetitive corduroy pants-esque type things in the way he lives his life, like his cabin and things like that. And it's almost as if uh, he's using that as a way to fill that uh, fill that void that is created by that internal death. You know, it seemed like, especially in the section where it's talking about how he and Pearl 25 years earlier, I believe, had moved from town, that they were close enough that town was still kind of on the edge of their life experience, but they were far enough away that they didn't have to deal with town anymore. Mm -hmm. So it almost seems like Pearl was also a participant in finding this comfort. And what's the line that's used several times there? All that is comfortable and good or something like that? Um, Yeah, something like that. I can't remember exactly. But that line comes up over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Again, and it gives the image of someone who has found a way to cope with the situations of life. Yeah. Maybe not wrestle them or confront them or grow from them, but to cope. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what the corduroy pants represent. But then you find out the whole farm does too. Yeah. Yeah, the whole farm is that way. Um, let's talk about the fence. Because I think this is so fascinating to me. When I first heard this part, I was like, what is going on? He, it, the sun is setting. Yeah. Like an egg. Beautiful, descriptive language. Shannon, hurrah. It was so lovely. I just couldn't believe how well written that was. But the sun is setting and he tries to go home. And when he gets to the fence that he built, kind of, kind of saying, this is my little corner of the world and I can keep the rest of the world out. It's all on the other side of the fence. But somehow he crossed that fence and he's trying to go back 
and the fence won't let him in. Mm -hmm. Above him, the hands of the sky released the egg they held until it sunk lower and lower, finally cracking against the horizon, spilling its dull light so thin against the earth that its glow was soon swallowed up and he was left in the dark and the still of the night. He didn't know he was dead at first, but he figured it out soon enough, when he couldn't get back to the house and the cellar that had been his whole life. He tried to get back, to cross that falling down fence and return to the blowing grasses that felt different than the ones by the river because they were his, but he couldn't. Something prevented him. He willed every muscle in his body to propel his leg forward over the lowest, most crumbled part of the fence and into the field where the two dappled horses, the ones that Pearl kept, used to graze. But he couldn't move. He couldn't lift even a foot past the fence. It was as if an invisible wall extended from the rotting posts straight upward to the sky, around the entire perimeter of his property, where the fence ran. Tell us what happens there. Well, I think there's many ways to interpret that part, but I think that that pairing of the fence and the setting sun is significant of a time of his life coming to an end, a period of time, a chapter in his life. I don't think we ever learn exactly how he crossed the fence, but I think that's also significant because sometimes what happens in life is we end up somewhere where there's no turning back or the only way out is forward. And mm. sometimes we don't even know what that is. Sometimes we just find ourselves in a situation. Maybe we didn't even do anything for that situation to come about, but the only way out is forward and we can't go back. Well, I found it interesting that he doesn't only try to step over the fence and can't, but he kind of panics, and he runs around the, the perimeter of the fence, trying and trying and trying. And when, when finally he gets back to where he started, he, he, he starts talking about terror and fatigue. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's something about, oh, I've felt this before, but normalcy will come back because it came back that last time. And he waits for the normal, whatever that would be, to return. But he also has a moment of decision there, and I think this was really kind of key to the storyline. He starts to sit down. Now he had nothing left to do but sit and, oh no, none of that, that would get nowhere. He would only wait. Wait for the normalcy to return. Because in the last 25 years he had found normalcy. Or normalcy had found him, saved him, and it would save him again. He just had to wait. So he sat down, just outside the fence, a quarter mile from his small house, and waited. Waited for that thing that had saved him before to come again. It would. It had to. If it didn't, he didn't know what he would do. Tell us about that. I think that the, the sitting down represents a choice in his mind of he up until that point he's spent all of his time trying to get back to trying to get back to normalcy hmm. and um, I think that in sitting down he had a choice or in this case not sitting down either or um, he had a choice of doing nothing and 
waiting to see if normalcy would come back to him or going forward in, into the world um, following the mountain's call and seeing where it leads. Well, and the storyline says, the narrator voice says, the next time the mountains would call, he would be dead. And at this point, the mountains do call again. So then I think, well, is he dead? Because there was never a death event. Mm-hmm. And that's the mystery of all of this. I'm like, yeah. well, what part is dead? You know, so we're, we're kind of back to that same theme. I love the way that we're talking about death, not in a sense of huge tragedy, although obviously the loss of Pearl was tragic. But we're exploring the death of the main character, whatever that means, in a sense more of how is this going to unfold, Mm -hmm. right? And, I mean, there's so many themes in here that we could pull out. I mean, one might be what do each of us need to die to 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 continue on into life, right? Right. And if we hang on to the past sense of normalcy, is that going to be healthy or is that a trap? And right now we're in a place in society where this really matters. We've all experienced a very uh, surprising year. Yep. Yeah. And people are talking about returning to normal or the new normal or what's going to happen next. Do we sit down and wait or should we be pressing on to try to sort out what the next right thing is? And we don't, we don't need to dive into, you know, what's happened in current events. I just wanted to say, it seems like life often offers those sorts of um, decision points. Yeah, I think it does. So, the last line in this episode, it ends by saying, For all intents and purposes, he was dead, and still the mountains called. And still the mountains called. And you can see prior to this, he was having a a battle internally about whether or not to recognize the call, remember the call, Mm -hmm. hear the call, respond to the call. So without giving anything away, do any of these questions get answered in the second episode? Mm, Not really. (laughs) (laughs) In the second episode, I think that the main thing that happens is you get more exploration of the ideas that we're already talking about. Okay. A little bit more insight into this dude. Yes. The main character. Mm-hmm. And, and what he does. Well, that's... To me, it's, it's a fascinating um, exploration. Like I said before, the archetypes of what it is to be human and to do humaning. And I, I applaud Shannon for her amazing insightful writing it's it's intriguing it moves at a great pace it's descriptive it's beautiful and jonathan's reading he does such a great job of managing the pace and drawing us in to the story it's not an easy story to read either right like (laughs) there's a complex long sentences and jonathan does a really good job of navigating that yeah, he does. I, it, it's beautiful the way that the three of you have come together, you know, the teamwork involved to create something that's really, really great. Like I said, it's it's three emerging artists who are expressing together what they're capable of doing. Um, I think the music adds so much interest as well. And we already talked quite a bit about the music, so we won't delve back into that. But um, 
I just say congratulations to the three of you, and I'm excited to hear the the coming episodes to learn more about the exploration of these crazy themes. And we, we just talked about normalcy. We talked about um, terror and fatigue. We talked about comfort zones and what's normal and good. We talked about habits that might not be healthy anymore. We talked about maybe being nudged into a different life experience. We talked about dying to a part of ourselves. We've talked about life versus death. We've talked about calling, being called to something, and trying to ignore the call. We've talked about the closing of a chapter of life with a setting sun. We've talked about, I mean, how many themes are there here? There's, there, there's things we haven't even brought up yet. No. Like when Pearl died, he sold the horses because they represented what she did. Yeah. But he couldn't sell the farm because that would have been, it would have been too tragic to get rid of everything that they had built together. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's trying to break free from some of this angst, right? But at the same time, he's hanging on. All of these themes, they're so human. Anyway, congratulations, Caleb. Congratulations, Shannon. Congratulations, Jonathan. Mati here says, great job. I can't wait for the next episode. Can't wait to release it. It's going to be awesome. So all of you listeners out there, Make sure that you pose your questions and your theories about all of these different themes. And uh, like I said, you can post those on the Novel website, which is novelpodcast.net. You can also leave comments um, on Apple Podcasts Mm -hmm. uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And those comments do help to build momentum for the show. Please share this with all of your friends and uh, family that you think may be interested and let's see how many people we can bring into the discussion and maybe by the time we're done with these 10 episodes is that correct? Yes. This first season is going to be 10 episodes 10 story episodes and we're going to keep on doing these commentary episodes intermittently as well. Great. Well by the time we, we finish these 10 episodes of the story then maybe we will have all learned something about what it means to be human. That's what this is about. That's that's the hope. Right on. Thanks, Caleb. Thank you, Monty.